Welcome to another informative episode of the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. No Harm is the podcast for health and safety professionals like you. We're here to help you sharpen your professional skills and better understand emerging issues. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Marvin Polis. Now, for this episode, I just happen to be located at a construction site rather than my studio, so you may hear a little bit of sawing and pounding and, hey, maybe even dogs barking in the background, for all I know, that may be coming. But joining me remotely is Ron Rock, and he's with MicroShare. He's joining me from Philadelphia. Ron, why don't you tell me about yourself? What do you do? What does your company do? Hi, Marvin. Thanks very much for having me on the show. So MicroShare is an IoT company, Internet of Things, and we're in the business of putting sensors on virtually everything that you can think of in a commercial real estate environment. And when I say commercial real estate, I include hospitals without touching the patient or airports without touching the airplane. And we do sensors to drive insights around occupancy, predictive cleaning, the quality of the air, detecting water leaks, helping you manage your trash disposal, basically creating intelligent beings out of these physical structures that we have to allow us to run them more efficiently, to make them safer, cleaner, and better for our employees, our customers, anybody using that that property. Well, that's very interesting. And I understand that you have something that you've developed that's uh, that's really useful right now while we're dealing with the COVID pandemic. Can you tell me about that? Sure. So a couple of years ago, we started doing indoor asset tracking. And primarily, we were doing it for NHS hospitals in the UK so that you could know where's where are the hospital beds, the wheelchairs, the infusion machines. The amount of time that medical staff consume looking for these things was disproportionate to what it should have been. And so when COVID-19 hit, In the middle of March, our biggest partner, Microsoft, brought us to a global pharmaceutical company, and they asked us if we could use that indoor asset tracking to actually provide contact tracing for their employees. And that's how we got into this now explosive opportunity. We've developed a Bluetooth device, so it doesn't use your smartphone. It's, It's a device that you can wear around your wrist, wear around your arm. You can have it in a visitor's badge. And it tracks how many people you've come in contact with over the course of the last two weeks. And it also tracks where you've been in the building in the last two weeks. And it does all this anonymously. And the use case is really pretty simple. Right now, globally, we've defined a contact event as roughly two meters, around six feet, for more than 10 minutes. That's considered a contact event. We do expect, by the way, for that to change. But right now, that seems to be the general consensus. So, Marvin, if you and I bump into each other in the second floor hallway outside the conference room, and we're standing closer than six feet for more than 10 minutes, the device on my wrist and the device on your wrist will record a contact event. Nothing happens. Nobody gets in trouble. We we do track that from a, a reporting perspective. But let's just say 10 days from now, I call in sick and I tell the employer that I've been diagnosed with COVID-19. They will then take the data off of my wristband and they will say, who has Ron had a contact event with over the last two weeks? 
And so now they'll notify you and say, hey, Marvin, somebody you were meeting with in the last 14 days has tested positive for COVID-19. We would like you to go get tested. At the same time, also, we're going to look at where's Ron been in the factory or in the office or in the campus over the last two weeks. And now we can isolate a subset of our facility and deep clean. We don't have to deep clean the entire facility. Same thing, I can now isolate a subset of my employees and suggest that they get tested as opposed to having to notify everybody. Okay, Ron, so just so that I'm clear, this is meant to be used in an enterprise environment where it's, uh, where it's used in a particular building or a particular hospital or a particular petrochemical refinery for that matter. Is this correct? That's right. Employers are legally responsible to provide a healthy work environment. And so as long as you are controlling an environment, and the environment, Marvin, can be as big as a college campus, it can be an entire uh, work uh, you know, um, factory office complex out in the suburbs, it can be a skyscraper, it can be warehouses or factories. As long as you control the environment, then you have the ability to distribute these wearable devices while people are in your environment. And oh, by the way, that can expand to the people that clean that building, the people that service it, the visitors that come in. We're talking to several college universities. It's the students. It's the faculty. It's the parents that come and visit while you're there. It's the folks that clean and maintain the buildings. Being able to create a a wearable environment where you're giving people a device, they wear it while they're at your facility. Once they leave, they take it off. So all of the problems that we've seen, all of the pushback from Google and Apple around putting a proprietary application on your smartphone, it's with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that's creating lots of concern from a privacy perspective. And so we're very much focused on your safety in the workplace and specifically trying to solve for the question, which we see happening in lots of different ways globally right now, when people are confirmed testing positive for COVID-19, how do I find out where you've been and who you've had contact events with in the last two weeks? Okay, definitely understand where you're heading with this. Now, what I'm curious about, you've probably looked into this, is that can I actually require a visitor or an employee to wear this device while they're in my building because it's my building? That is a great question. And the answer to that varies by industry, by country, by sovereignty, by regulation, by unions. And that's what we're finding ourselves in conversations seven days a week right now around the world. The technology works. And for lots of reasons, it works better than the smartphone. First of all, not everybody in the world has a smartphone. Secondly, uh, there's a lot of industries, military bases, pharmaceutical manufacturing, high-tech manufacturing, where you're not allowed to bring your smartphone onto the manufacturing floor. Food processing, you have to leave all your personal items in your locker because they're afraid that things can fall into the food that's being processed. And so there's lots of application for a non-smartphone solution. The question then becomes... How do people feel about wearing this device? And right now, the conversation goes something like this, Marvin. 
we're responsible for your safety. We're not going to invade any of your personal information. We're not keeping this data for more than a prescribed period of time. Right now, it's 14 days based on some data that's come out of the World Health Organization last week about COVID-19. We think that we might want to keep it a little bit longer because the incubation the incubation period is extending and testing is getting delayed. So even if you get your test today, you may not get your results for 10 days. So we're looking at how long we should keep that data. But we're only going to keep this data to track anonymously contact events. And we're only going to reach out to you if you've had a contact event with somebody who's tested positive. That sounds like a pretty fair value value exchange, right? This is for your benefit. So we're not getting a lot of pushback at that level today, but but this is an ongoing conversation. Understood. And I guess there really isn't a lot of precedent for this, but in some ways there are. I guess this could be considered like PPE. I mean, I've been on hundreds and hundreds of industrial sites where PPE is an issue, you know, and they have rules. And it's like, you know, you, you must wear this hard hat. You must wear these gloves. You must, in fact, wear this type of glove. And if you're not willing to, you're not welcome on our site. You're absolutely right, Marvin. And there's lots of precedent when I answered the question, I said it really varies. There are a lot of places. Guess what? College University can absolutely say, while you're on my campus, you got to wear this device. There are lots of environments where that happens. The rub comes in primarily around unions and and watching their concern is I suddenly know, inadvertently, I know that Ron's going out for a cigarette break five times a day for 15 minutes at a time. That's where, that's where you're crossing the line. And so if I can maintain that integrity, that it's strictly for your physical well-being to protect you while you're in my facility, that's where we're getting the most amount of acceptance. Indeed. Could it actually be used in an emergency situation where Ron goes missing? We don't know where he is. We have some sort of emergency going on. Let's ping his device and find out where he is. Theoretically, the answer is yes. We today don't store the data in a way that would allow that to happen. That being said, we've already begun to have conversations. People are beginning to realize that this is probably not a temporary thing. The analogy I use quite often is there's a lot of, of, of comparisons to COVID-19 and 9-11. You know, our world changed after 9-11. Metal detectors became standard. They weren't standard before 9-11. And so there's new infrastructure that here we are 20 years later after that event, and there's we just know what global travel and global security is like. The idea of global pandemics and tracking how people come in contact with each other and how these pandemics spread is going to become part of the normal as we move forward. So now the question that I'm getting asked by a lot of early adopters is, hey, what else can we do with this technology infrastructure? Can we get better at safety? Can we get better at office utilization or facilities utilization? Can we get better at, at understanding how our, our infrastructure gets consumed? Ultimately, a lot of this is being driven by ESG and sustainability. We're trying to reduce our carbon footprint. We're trying to be more friendly to the planet. And it turns out that all of this data can really help in that area as well. 
So I think this is the beginning of a trend where just like we're now seeing that Zoom and working remotely has really broken the chain between most white collar workers and their place of business, it's never going back to a one for one. We're not all going to go back 100%. I think that the technology in the workspace, tracking occupancy, environmental monitoring, predictive cleaning, all the kinds of things that we do, I think this is a tipping point where they're now here to stay. Understood. Now, Ron, I want to return to the thought about how the employer has an obligation to keep employees safe, visitors safe, all of that. And, you know, so so let's return to that thought about how your device actually accomplishes this. So I, I arrive at your building. Let's, let's just say I'm a visitor and I'm signing in at the front desk. And I have been to many different office buildings that are in public energy, in coaling or mining in healthcare, where they make you watch a safety video before you are allowed in the building. So already there's lots of precedent out there. Like you mentioned earlier, you must wear a hard hat. So I sign in the register and I wear a wristband. And while I'm visiting in that building for that day, I'm wearing this wristband that's tracking if in fact I have any contact events in the course of that day. And when I leave the office, just like with my visitor's badge, I hand the the bracelet back in. Let's say 10 days from now, somebody at that office building calls in sick and they've got COVID-19. That employer is then able to go to the database and say, okay, I now know that this badge has tested positive for COVID-19. Give me a list of all the other badges in the last two weeks that this badge had a contact event with. And sure enough, they find that badge that says, oh, on Tuesday, July 15th, Ron Rock had a contact. He was visiting that day. He had this badge number and he had a contact event with the employee that's tested positive. So they reach out to me and say, hey, Ron, while you were visiting us that day, your bracelet had a contact event with somebody that's tested for COVID-19 we suggest you go get tested. You know what? From a personal perspective, I would want to know that. I would, I would be appreciative of you giving me that heads up. Absolutely. And we get a lot of response like that. And it's not only would you be appreciative, but as employees look to reoccupy, to go back to work, I've spoken to many CEOs who said, in addition to everything else, Ron, I love the fact that you're giving them a visible bracelet or a badge it's, it's showing that we care. We're doing everything we can to try and make it safe. As opposed to if you just put an app on the phone, well, you've got dozens of apps on your phone. You're not quite sure if it's working or not. Here's a very visible way to show that, we are, that we're, we're making a difference. For the most part, Marvin, the same reaction you just had is the reaction we get most of the time wait a minute, this, this is going to notify me and I'm terrified of this disease. Wow. Yes, please wear it. We're, we're doing some consumer focus groups right now, uh, trying to understand also, how do you even take it to the next step? Let's make it a cool factor. If you're on a university and you show up at class without the bracelet, your fellow classmates are like, yo, dude, that's not cool. Go home and get your bracelet. That kind of social peer pressure, because we're all in this together. 
We're all trying to keep each other safe. We're all trying to get diagnosed if we've got it as quickly as possible and minimize the uh, the spread. And so how do we create a social feeling around this that isn't around, oh, my personal privacy is being violated, but rather this is just the right thing to do. You know what? And another thing that I'm uh, curious about, are the badges actually reused and sanitized or, or they discarded? There's lots of different form factors here. And that we have everything from disposable after 90 days to form factors that have rechargeable batteries. We're talking to some clients where they are giving the badge permanently to their employees and the employees can change the batteries. The batteries have a three to six month battery life and they're very simple to to keep the batteries uh, charged in and out. Uh, We have some that are disposable. We have some that are reusable and deep cleaned in between uses. So Again, we're, we're only you know a little more than 100 days into this global crisis. What we did to get out to the market quickly was off-the-shelf Bluetooth brace, bracelets and badges that we were able to flash our proprietary software onto to allow it to work. But we're already in conversations with custom form factors, you know, a, a bracelet that gets you into your dorm room, pays for your food in the cafeteria, and is doing contact tracing. And it's got the logo of your university on it, and it just looks really, really cool, right? So there's going to be lots of different form factors, I think, in the coming quarters and and 18 months as people go from immediate, I just need something right away to get going, to now how do we begin to adopt this into our day-to-day consumption? And I think that'll be everything from disposables to mixed use and everything in between. Great. Now, I do want to return to another thought that you also mentioned was the reaction of wearing a bracelet versus having an app that downloads onto my phone. What are you hearing from people about this? The biggest concern about downloading something onto my phone, and, and we this isn't new to COVID-19, Marvin. We've, we've seen this in the business, pl- business world now for almost a decade. When your employer comes to you and says, I want to put a piece of software on your personal phone, that's chock full of challenges. First of all, if you as, as an employee leave that place of employment, now your employer is like, well, how do I get that software back? And so it's problems for the employer managing it. It's problems for the employee. That's why I have a lot of friends around the world who carry two phones. They've got their personal iPhone and they've got their work iPhone. And of course, the, the obvious question is, well, why don't you put it all on one? And the answer is, well, I don't want my employer knowing everything that's on my personal phone. I don't know what this app does or doesn't do. So there's already a, a Chinese wall between you know, what people want on their, uh, on their personal phone and what they want on the work phone. When you bring this into a global pandemic and into healthcare, the biggest problem you have then is, two, are you tracking me when I leave work? Because now that isn't your business. So I don't necessarily want you to know where I'm going when I leave work. And all of my personal information is on my phone. My heart rate, the number of steps I take, any health apps, my Google search history, my Google Maps history. All of that is on my phone already. How do I feel about you putting your app on that phone with all my other personal stuff? 
it blurs the line a lot around, are you really maintaining my privacy? And so that's really the, the pushback that we've seen. And if you read the press globally around the Google-Apple announcement, which came out very quickly right after COVID-19, and their intentions were fantastic, but the pushback on governments and unions around the world has been pretty unanimous. Ron, one other thing that I'm curious about, because I do spend a lot of time in situations where a device must be intrinsically safe, and it is one of those reasons why in some on some sites you're just not allowed to carry a cell phone. Is your device intrinsically safe? That's a great question, Marvin. It depends on the industry. So far, we have taken these off-the-shelf Bluetooth devices that have been around for a while, They have lots of different specifications around safety in operation, temperature ranges, how the electricity and the currents and the airwaves come off of them. Uh, We've been able to successfully get them into mining uh, operations, into healthcare, into some nuclear power plants, into military installations. So the, again, this is all happening very quickly, but because we're using industry standard off the shelf, we're intrinsically safe in so far every environment that we've looked at. And of course, that becomes a important part of the conversation as we're looking at some of these new form factors. For example, a big global food processor, you can't wear anything on your wrist because the fear that the something on your wrist will fall into the food itself that's being processed. And they do just you know, millions and millions of produce a day out of these these locations. So coming up with armbands that lock the device in and above a certain portion of your arm so that even if they fall, they won't fall into the, the actual production environment itself. So all of those are, are real-time conversations. But for the most part right now, we're finding that the devices we're using, because they've been around for a long time and are already in a lot of these locations serving other purposes, we're finding that Uh, we're being able to check that box. Makes sense. Well, Ron, we're just about up on time. So is there anything else you'd like to say in summary? Marvin, just just, I'd like to say thank you. This has become a really important conversation. Every C-suite of organization that I'm involved with or that we know about in Europe and in North America and in Asia Pacific, everybody's trying to understand contact tracing right now. And it's Very important to understand the relationship between contact tracing and the spread of COVID-19. And we think that opportunities like this podcast with you help share the message that there are people out there that you can call that understand this. We're right in the middle of it. And we're determined to, to successfully be able to make this available. Well said. Well, thanks for joining me today, Ron. Best of luck to you. And where can our listeners learn more about your company? Best way to learn about our company, go to our website, www.microshare.io. Again, that's microshare, like Microsoft, microshare.io. Splendid. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. Be sure to join us next time. And a reminder that you can subscribe to us for free on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The No Harm Health and Safety Podcast is a production of Stimulant Strategies and Media Productions. You can learn more about us at stimulant.ca. All the best, everyone, and stay safe.